0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. Now get ready to receive a word from God. I want to piggyback a little bit off of our message from this past week. And again, I want to remind you that if you weren't able to be with us or you haven't yet been able to catch that audio, we have it up online for you now. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Uh, It's available there, a message called The After Party. We ministered on Easter and we talked about how Jesus lived his life looking beyond the death and the crucifixion and the punishment that he would take on. But he saw ahead beyond uh, the pain and the anguish that surrounds uh, you know, the crucifixion and him dying and giving his life. He saw life after death. He saw an opportunity, he saw a moment. He saw you and I one with him. Once again, and a verse that we kind of landed on the, uh, there on Sunday was this verse here in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one. It reads this way. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then we see this statement here, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was more fixated on life after death than death itself. Uh, And we saw that Jesus was even constantly reminding his disciples and, and telling his followers, hey, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be uh, taking on the sins of the world. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Jesus lived and operated with his mind fixed on something different than just the external, something different than just what was happening to him and happening around him. And, you know, over the past several weeks, we have kind of been in this central theme of what does our faith look like in crisis? Uh, How do we endure? How do we go through uh, these things and right now with the crisis that we're facing and the challenges that we're facing uh, some of the, some of us are experiencing them you know close to home with our jobs being affected our families being affected uh, maybe your health is being affected Um, And so we've got to be able to battle through these things and we've got to be able to strengthen our faith so that we can overcome these things. And so Jesus lived and operated with his mind and his eyes fixed. Again, we talked about Colossians chapter three, verse one, fix or set your mind on things above. Jesus set his mind on things above. I love the way the Amplified reads verse two, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two And the Amplified says, looking away from all that will distract us. You may remember just two weeks ago, we talked about canceling distractions, eliminating the things that are bombarding us, uh, uh, limiting the amount of information and the amount of awareness and the amount of things uh, that want to come at us on a daily basis. Verse two, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. He goes on to say, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal. I love that. Who for the joy of accomplishing the goal. Here's the thing we have to know is that the current circumstance may not be joyful. The current situation situation may not be something that literally brings us joy, but we still have an opportunity to be, to remain joyful. We have an opportunity to be in joy who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame, And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. I encouraged our church last week that if you haven't thought of what does life look like beyond this crisis? What does life look like when things get back to normal? What does life look like? You've got to start dreaming, start envisioning, start picturing, getting in your mind. What do things look like beyond what I'm currently going through? And again, this applies to any scenario in our life. But Jesus was not fixated on the cross, wasn't fixated on the crown of thorns on his head and the stripes on his back and the people mocking him and scorning him. But yet for the joy that was set before him, he endured all those things. He had his mind set somewhere else. It specifically states who for the joy set before him. And so I just want to talk to you today about the role that joy plays in the midst of crisis. I believe that joy is going to be a vital component to see us through this joy that when our joy is our, is attacked or when we lose our joy, our faith becomes weakened. Our, our faith becomes depleted and our ability to see beyond current circumstances it wanes and, and it, it, begins, it becomes deficient in our lives. So I want to talk to you about this component of joy. We've seen these verses before, but just for uh, remembrance and for repeating, I want to show these to you, John chapter 16, verse 33. John 16. In verse 33, and again, uh, as we have for the last several weeks, you guys have done a great job of engaging and leaning into these messages, chat in the comments, uh, tell us what the Lord is, is revealing to you and showing you through these things, turn in your Bibles um, or get your devices out and follow along with us. Uh, Again, this is just as if we were in a normal opportunity to uh, worship the Lord together and hear the word of God together. So, uh, take advantage of this opportunity right where you are at. But in John chapter 16 and verse 33 it says this, these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In essence, he's saying you can remain in a position of joy, even when circumstances and challenges come against you that are contrary to us and contrary to what we believe and contrary to what we know. This joy is a vital component. John chapter fifteen and verse eleven. John chapter fifteen and verse eleven says this: These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full my joy should remain in you and your joy should remain full he's indicating that there are going to be things that are going to come and try to deplete your joy They're going to try to stifle your joy. They're going to try to uh, suck out the joy of the Lord uh, that is within you. There's going to be opposition that's going to come and challenges. And so he's encouraging us, make sure in these moments, especially that you are remaining full of joy. Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four and verse four in the new living translation reads this way. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. If anything, this tells me I need to double up. If anything, this is encouraging me that even in the moments where I feel the least joyful is where I need to have the most joy operating in my life. And then we've seen this verse in Nehemiah chapter eight and verse 10, Nehemiah chapter eight, In verse 10, he says, do not sorrow at at the end of this verse. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Here's what I know about joy. If the enemy can steal my joy, he can strip my strength. If the enemy can steal my joy, he can strip my strength. My strength my strength is what's going to carry me through. My strength is what's going to give me the power and the ability, not in my might, not in my power, but in his power. That's why it's called the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so for us to battle through, to continue to process, to continue to push through uh, and endure as we are encouraged in the, war, in the word to do, joy is going to be a vital component. In a lot of these passages, and we'll see even here further on, you see that joy and tests go hand in hand. Joy and tests go hand in hand. That when we are going through a test, we are needing to call upon joy. And this is what I've learned about joy in my life. When I need joy the most is typically when I feel it the least. When I need joy the most, that's typically when I feel it the least. When I need to draw on joy in my life is typically a moment or an opportunity in my life where it's not joyful. There's nothing to celebrate. There's nothing good happening. There's nothing naturally, tangibly looking around that I can say, oh man, I have this to rejoice about. Uh, When all hell's breaking loose, that's when my joy needs to be at the fullest. That's when I need to be drawing and pulling on joy. Galatians chapter 5 Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And you may recall in verse 22, it says, But the Holy Spirit, this is the New Living Translation, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives love, joy, peace. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the spirit. But let me ask you this. Where does fruit come from? Fruit originally begins as a seed. Fruit originally begins as a seed. So here's the simple thought. I can't bear fruit if I haven't first planted the seed. I can't bear fruit in my life if I haven't first planted the seed. I've got to plant the seed of joy If I want to reap the fruit of joy, you hear what I'm saying? That I cannot draw on something that I haven't first put in. I can't make a demand on something that I have not deposited. So this tells me that there's some things I need to do in advance. There's some proactive things I can do to plant seeds of joy so that I can reap the fruit of joy when I need it the most. We've seen this passage and again, another familiar passage in James chapter one, James chapter one, and I want to begin here in verse one. And uh, this passage, I believe, speaks right to where we're at. Um, as many of these words have, I hope that they have been empowering to you and equipping to you through this season and, and through these challenges. Um, like I told you a couple of weeks, I kind of feel like your spiritual personal trainer in a sense that hey we're pushing through hey we're going to get through this we're going to come out on the other side stronger and better than when we came in and 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 that's what a personal trainer you don't go to a personal trainer to stay the same you don't go to a personal trainer to become weaker or more lazy you go to a personal trainer to become better and stronger than when you first went to him and so i want to give you some things that are going to challenge you yes confront some things. Sure. But on on the flip side, on the other side of this thing, we're going to be stronger and better. In James chapter one, verse one, James, a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, greetings. And right out the gate, verse two, he says this, my brethren, that's you and I, my brethren count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, knowing, verse three, that the testing of your faith produces patience. Count it all joy. This word count it all simply means to consider or regard as joyful. Consider or regard as joyful. But listen to what he says. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, we've said this before, but again, for repeating and and for remembrance sake, many times we want to count it all joy when we come out of trials. But he is admonishing us and encouraging us to count it all joy when you fall into trials. And then verse 3 has these words that are are really interesting. The first two words of verse 3, knowing that knowing that, knowing what? That the testing of your faith produces patience. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. This is the thought, is that the reason why I can remain in joy or remain joyful, even in the midst of trial, and even in the midst of contrary circumstances, The reason why I can endure through trials the way Jesus endured through the cross and through the crucifixion was because I know that I know something different. I know something different than what it looks like right now. I know something different than what I'm currently going through. I'm currently facing. I know something different. What do I know? He says, I know that the testing of my faith produces patience. Notice It's not you that's being tested. It's your faith. Ultimately, what the enemy is really after is your faith. The enemy wants to deplete your faith because by faith you overcome the world, James uh, goes on to tell us. Uh, By faith, we understand that I can see the unseen. By faith, I can tap into the promises and the blessings of God. So, What is his answer? To deplete my faith, weaken my faith, diminish my faith. So the testing of my faith produces patience. I can count it all joy when I fall into trials because I know that the testing of my faith produces patience. Now this word test or this word testing, this is what testing means. It means to prove. It means to prove. Prove what? Prove what is already there. Prove what is already there. Think about if you are, uh, you know, testing for something. Taking it, let's just say you're going from the tenth grade to the eleventh grade. You come to the end of the school year. You've spent a year of, of taking in uh, instruction, learning. You, you, you've you know divulged and you you have learned different things over the the course of the school year. And now here we are. We're here to determine. How do we get you from the 10th grade to the 11th grade? And there is a test. Now, the test isn't designed to stop you. The test isn't designed to keep you stuck somewhere. The test isn't because we want you to repeat the 10th grade. The test shows up to help advance you to the 11th grade. What does that do? That is where my joy comes in because now I'm recognizing that this testing is only going to pull out of me what was already in me. This testing is my opportunity to prove my faith in the word of God. This testing shows up to prove it's going to squeeze out. You've heard us say multiple times, what does crisis do? Crisis squeezes out what was already in you. Crisis always reduces people to their training. I had uh, a a a military friend of mine that he would tell me that, that people in the midst of crisis, you always reduce to your training. You can only go back to what you know. You can only go back, go back to programming. You can only go back to what you have proactively put in when there wasn't trial. So when the trial shows up, that's what comes out. So this testing is a testing of my faith, not even me personally, It's to test my faith to prove what is already there. The testing of your faith of your faith produces patience. So here's what I know. If God is asking it of me, then he must have put it in me. I'll say that again. If God is asking it of me, then he must have put it in me. I know I've just like you have been in scenarios where uh, I feel like I'm being stretched and I'm being pulled on beyond even my own natural ability, beyond what I feel I'm capable of, beyond what I've done before. But these are opportunities where God is wanting to say it's in you. Now it's time to draw on it. I've put it there. It's been planted. You have been in the word. You've been strengthening yourself. You have guarded your mind and heart through Christ. So you have uh, set your mind uh, on me. And so now peace can, can reign in your life. You have, you have done the things proactively that you need to do. So now the test comes to prove that it's there. The testing of your faith produces patience. So ultimately what's, ha- what's happening is something's being produced. Remember, he said, you can count it all joy when you fall into trials because you know that I know something different than what's happening around me. I know that the testing of my faith produces patience. Uh, The way the New Living Translation really opens this up, the way it reads here in verse two, uh, it says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Your endurance has a chance to grow. Verse four, so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. If you jump on down to verse 12 in this same chapter, he says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Uh, Back there in verse three, he says, for, you know, that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Verse four says, when your endurance is fully developed. So that tells me this, I can have fully mature and fully developed endurance, or I can have immature or incomplete endurance. Endurance is what we need to walk with God and to walk with the Lord effectively. Endurance is a vital component. But what we're discovering here is that joy feeds my endurance. When we talk about joy, we're not just talking about arriving and and finishing. I had someone tell me one time, you can finish strong or you can finish wrong. Getting to the completion and getting to the end of a thing and arriving by the skin of our teeth, that is not the goal. The goal is to arrive, to arrive in faith to stand. And when you've done all to stand, stand, withstand the enemy, withstand the fiery darts, withstand the attacks, withstand the trials to stand against, you know, one thing I really want to encourage the church with, especially our church right now is to remember this. Uh, Pastor Chris Musgrove. He reminded me of this. Uh, We are on the offensive in the midst of this crisis. And in, in the midst of challenges, We have to remember we're the ones doing the attacking. We, you know, sometimes we get in these moments and we as the church feel like we're on the defensive, like we're guarding against and we're trying to keep the enemy out. But I want to encourage you today. We're the ones on the offensive. He's the one on the defensive. He's the one trying to keep us out of territory. He's the one trying to keep us from advancing the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is going to advance and the kingdom of God is going to thrust forth and it is going to carry on. And we're the ones doing the attacking. But this joy is a necessary component to our endurance, to our lasting and even outlasting. So I have to keep my joy full. Jesus said, I want your joy to remain full. Full. So the test comes to prove what is already there. Here's what you need to know. The only way out is through. The only way out of a challenge is through the challenge. The only way out of 10th grade is through the test of did you acquire everything in this grade necessary so we can advance you to the next thing. So I just want you to take a moment and rejoice right there, knowing that the testing and the challenges and and, and the, the, the circumstances that have come against you, they're only proving what was in you. They're only proving that you have done what you're supposed to do, that you have proactively put the measures in place to build yourself, strengthen yourself, encourage yourself. So when trials come, it's just squeezing out the word of God that was already there. I've been so impressed by many of you in conversations and interactions uh, and and how many of you are remaining joyful. Uh, How many of you are keeping faith on, keeping the switch of faith turned on, keeping your faith illuminated and doing the things necessary. If that means turning off social media. I, I saw someone the other day share. I am only on social media one hour a day. I give it one hour. That's amazing. And, and they're just letting you know, hey, you might not reach me. You may, you may not uh, be able to contact me through this vein. I'm not gonna be uh, surrounding myself with this as much as maybe I normally would. You're eliminating things. You're, you're stripping things off, canceling distractions like we talked about a couple weeks ago because it's compromising our faith. We don't wanna be informed and aware at the expense of our faith. And so I've been so impressed with that. But now this joy, This joy component goes hand in hand with our endurance. Those that remain joyful are those that endure. Down here in um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you'll take a moment and and turn there with me. Again, we're talking about enduring, pressing on, Uh, not just what I'm going through, but how I go through it, how I go through it. One thing I love about first and second Timothy is this is Paul writing to a young man. This is a grown man at the point of death, Paul at the end of his ministry, writing to a young man, Timothy, who is just starting out in ministry. And you've heard us say all along, you know, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And, and, Paul is is an incredible marker of that. He started out murdering and killing Christians and trying to shut down the church ended being the greatest catalyst of the church, writing two thirds of the New Testament. He bore witness to that and proved that it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But what he's doing here in Second Timothy is he's trying to help Timothy start out right. Hey, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. But if you could start right, why wouldn't we? I mean, if if this is convicting you and challenging you today, there's no better time to start walking in joy and start pouring in joy than right now. There's no better time to start planting seeds of joy in your life than now so that one day you can reap those seeds and reap the fruit of joy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, Again, to Timothy, he he says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse four, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier, let me read that again, verse four, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier here's what we have to know what you're engaged in limits what you can be entangled with. what you are engaged in limits what you can be entangled with. I would even encourage you with this, that when, when, when trials are heightened or challenge is heightened in your life, all the more do you need to be considering what you're engaging, what you're entangled with. He says that no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. There's things that I just don't even bother with. There's things that I don't even allow myself to, to look at. Again, we're kind of back to this whole canceling distractions thought. And even back to the Israelites uh, in our first message, Grapes and Giants, where we had to learn to cancel out certain voices and cancel out certain thoughts and and get our eyes fixed on the word of God. We bear witness again that no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So what I engage in, when I'm engaged in, in, in war, and for some of us, we might feel like we're in all-out war. For some of us, we might feel like this is a, an, an onslaught, a battle that you're going through. When I'm in, What I'm engaged in limits what I can be entangled with. Verse five, he goes on and he says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I would give you this, that joy is a rule. Joy is a principle of endurance. We cannot negate the value for joy. Again, we're not talking about what we're going through. We're talking about how we're going through it. And joy is a rule. The word of God clearly states that joy helps our endurance develop and grow. We just read that in James. Verse six, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. If you jump down to verse 12, 2 Timothy chapter two and verse 12, he says this. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him with him. I want to remind you that you are called to reign. You are called to rule. You are called to triumph over the enemy. Triumph over sickness and disease. Triumph over lack and deficiency. Triumph over anxiety and depression. If we endure so endure has to, has to do with finishing endure has to do with completing, but not just getting it to the end and making it to, but how I go through the process of seeing that completed in my life. The new living translation reads this in verse three in the new living, second Timothy chapter two in verse three, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He says this in verse four, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. Guys, we have to manage what we are engaging. We have to manage what we're feeding on. We have to manage what we're becoming entangled with because it will compromise our joy. When we begin to lose our joy, then our faith begins to weaken. You can put it this way. When my joy is full, my faith is strong. When my joy is full, my faith is strong. I want strong faith. We've talked about this, that faith is a lot like a muscle. Muscles can be developed or abandoned, neglected. I can develop my muscles. We all have them. We all have a measure of faith, but we've all developed our faith to greater or lesser degrees. Well, I need to keep my faith strong. Well, did you know joy is a vital component to keeping your faith strong? It's almost that you could say that you can't have faith without having joy. Now, when we talk about joy, I'm not talking about uh, an emotion. I'm not talking about happiness, what makes you happy. Uh, I'm I'm talking about a, not an emotion. I'm talking about a position, a position of knowing an outcome. Remember Jesus for the joy set before him. um, I've heard people say it this way. Whatever you hitch or connect your joy to, you become a slave to. Whatever you hitch your joy to. You become a slave to whatever you connect your joy to, whatever dictates, if if you've got a full bank account, you're in joy. But if you're not, then you're not. If you don't have a full bank account, then you have a diminished account of joy as well. When your marriage is going well, your joy is full. But when it's not, you're not in joy. What do you connect your joy to? And look, all of us have different things that we have our joy connected to. Jesus had his joy connected to something else, not people's opinion. He never hitched his joy to the value of other people, and what they thought about him. He didn't connect his joy to if people followed him or didn't follow him. He didn't connect his joy to how people treated him. He didn't connect his joy to where he was geographically. I'm happy here, but I'm not really happy there. No, his joy was connected to seeing the completed work of the cross. His joy was connected to seeing you and I one day ruling and reigning with him in heavenly places, seated at the right hand of the father. That was what he had his joy connected to. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So the question I would have for you today is, are you enduring or are you enjoying? Are you enduring? I mean, think about that. So if, if I make this statement, are you enduring your marriage or enjoying your marriage? Are you enduring parenthood or are you enjoying parenthood? Are you enduring running that business or are you enjoying running that business? I would submit to you today that your joy determines whether you're just merely enduring, struggling, getting by. I mean, you know, go ahead, look at your wife and tell them, I'm enduring this marriage. See what that does for you. See what kind of response you get. No, but if you look at them and say, man, I'm enjoying this marriage, different response. It communicates something completely differently. What I'm trying to help you see is your joy has to remain full regardless of what we're going through, regardless of the challenges we face, regardless of, of, of any struggle that may come. Jesus did not allow a struggle to define his joy for the joy set before him. Romans chapter five, Romans chapter five and verse one reads this way. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God, because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials For we know they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Notice that joy is kind of like the, the first domino that causes the rest of the dominoes to fall. When I'm rejoicing, even in the midst of problems and trials, it develops endurance. My endurance develops strength of character. My character strengthens my confident hope of salvation. It's one thing leads to another, all begun with joy. That's why we say that joy is not what I'm doing, it's how. I'm I'm not just trying to make you happy. I'm not just telling you to find things that make you happy. We're not talking about an emotion. We're talking about a position of joy that remains fixed, that remains steadfast. I'm joyful when they like me. I'm joyful when they talk about me. I'm joyful when I'm whole and I'm joyful when I'm coming against sickness and disease. I'm joyful when the bank account's full and I'm joyful when I'm believing for the next thing to come in. I'm joyful regardless. You cannot attach your joy to physical things, natural things. Your joy has to be decided before you get into the trial. I'll say that again. Your joy has to be decided before you get into the trial. Consider it all joy when you fall into You know, what's interesting, you know, a a lot of scholars call Philippians the happiest book, the happiest book that Paul wrote. And that's what we read earlier where he says, I encourage you to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And what some people may not know is he wrote that book from a jail cell. I mean, if anybody had the right to be angry, to be discouraged, to feel downtrodden, it was Paul. And at that moment, nobody would have blamed Paul for having a poor outlook on life. Nobody would have blamed Paul for writing and then and, 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 and again, you know, he even writes in Philippians chapter two that, you know, most of my followers have abandoned me, and I can only send you Timothy. He's the only one that's like minded. He's not even a place where he can go visit and see the people uh, that that he spiritually gave birth to and has poured into. He's having to send someone. And the only one he can send that is about the cause and about the mission that is like minded is Timothy. He's talking about a dire situation. You can read in Second Corinthians where Paul gives his resume of the shipwrecks, the beatings left for dead, stoned to death. You know, how many times these things occurred in his life. He was hungry. He was homeless. All the things he endured. But yet we have Paul writing and encouraging us to be joyful, to rejoice. And again, in case you didn't hear me say it the first time, rejoice. So even Paul had to abide by his own words that I'm not connecting my joy to my situation. I'm not connecting my joy to how I feel. Joy is not how I feel. Joy determines how I feel. Joy dictates. And so if we're not careful, we'll allow things in that will strangle and stifle our joy. We'll allow things in that will compromise our joy. Well, guess what? When joy is compromised, my strength is compromised. My endurance is compromised. My character is compromised. All these other things that we're reading that are are, uh, byproducts of walking in joy. It affects every part of us. It affects every part of us. So we have to keep our joy full. Joy is a vital component of us enduring and battling through. I want to encourage you again that crisis and pressure always reduces us to what is in us. And I want to encourage you today that joy has got to come out. This is a moment where we ought to be joyful. This is a moment where we ought to be rejoicing. You should be sharing with your family what is going to be taking place after this is over. You should be sharing with your employees, your employers, those around you, those that you influence. This is what it's going to start dreaming, start visioning, start seeing life on the other side because that will pour joy into you. If Jesus could endure what he endured, I mean, think about it. One of the great promises that we can celebrate from Resurrection Sunday is that no matter how bad it looks, Sunday's coming. No matter what we're going through, no matter what challenge we're facing, we can have joy set before us. There is life after death. I encourage you to fix your eyes on him Fix your eyes on beyond the challenge, beyond the crisis. See yourself whole. See your account full. See your marriage uh, uh, working according to the word of God. See your family walking in the things of the Lord. See it with your eyes, your spiritual eyes. That sometimes means we have to we have to close our eyes to the natural things. You know, again, I'm reminded where we started with the Israelites and the the spies. and Joshua and Caleb, I mean, you hear, you can almost hear Caleb's voice saying, we are well able to take this mountain. We are well able to take this land because he promised it to us. What was he doing for the joy set before us? Nothing joyful about giants. Nothing joyful about walls that are so strong and fortified to keep us out. Nothing joyful about many enemies just waiting to take us out but he saw something beyond what the physical, natural showed him. And for the joy set before him, he said, we can endure these things. We can persevere through these things. We can push through these things and our joy will get us through. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes.